go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. I thank you for the faithfulness of your people. I thank you that for two services this Sunday, time change though it is, Lord, we're here. And we're here because we want to fellowship with other believers. We want to be blessed by your word. We want to be empowered by your spirit today. We want to acknowledge that in all the ways we should, with praise, with thanksgiving, and with giving. But God, right now we pray that you'd minister to our hearts and do that in a special way today, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. And if you have your Bible with you, and if you want to follow along with me in actually the Bible you may have there, get Acts chapter 18, your left hand, Philippians chapter 3 in your right, Acts 18, Philippians 3. In his book, Practical Religion, J.C. Ryle gave these priceless words. He says, a man is preeminently, a zealous man is preeminently a man of one thing. It is not enough to say that he's earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, or fervent in spirit. He only sees one thing. He only cares for one thing. He only lives for one thing. He's only swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he's rich or whether he's poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he's thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing. And that one thing is to please God and advance God's glory. He is consumed in the very burning and he cares not for it because he feels that like a lamp, he is made to burn. And if he's consumed in the burning, then he has but done the work which God appointed to him. Now, I want us to think critically about that statement this morning because I do not disagree with its sentiment But what would the Apostle Paul say? I mean, after all, he was just such a man. And he says here in Philippians chapter 3 at verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, even the righteousness which is of God by faith. So every believer, by being born again, is already in Christ. But verse 8 says, Paul wants to win Christ And you win Christ by being found in Christ. And you are only found or founded in Christ, established in Christ, it says, through the faith of Christ. And I know every modern translation changes verse 9 to read that it's your faith in Christ and not the faith of Christ, just like they do at my life verse, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. And that is as true of the New King James and modern English version, both of which claim to be translated from the right Greek texts. 
So this is not an issue of a different Greek text, but of modern translators not believing what is said and translating it correctly like the King James and like prior versions did. Because only the authorized version preserves the necessity of discipleship or Christian growth, which is based upon putting on Christ's right wiseness by conforming my life to his own faith. Watch, watch, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this Unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. So you only win Christ by winning the prize described in verse 14. And to obtain this prize of that calling, you cannot just be saved, and so what? And we cannot just be a Sunday-only church, and you cannot just be a Sunday-only Christian to win these crowns. You've got to conform in mind to the same revelation and then conform in walk to the same rule thus revealed. So, this rule is defined in Galatians 6, verses 15 and 16, as you walking like a new creature in Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is the biblical description of discipleship. And so what Paul was single-minded about was discipleship. Because that is a high calling that we reach forth toward. Uh, So we can refire your faith with a refocus on discipleship. He says it has to do with being thus-minded with walking by the same rule of faith and minding the same thing. And that is exactly what the biblical definition of discipleship is. As a matter of fact, you cannot do those things without being discipled. So you notice on your handout that Jesus says to Martha in Luke chapter 10, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And the one thing she chose at that moment was to be discipled by Jesus. So my goal in this sermon is not to describe from the Bible everything about discipleship's four goals and its biblical content and curriculum. That will be done this week. That will be done tonight, 530 to, to 6.45, as usual, that'll be done. Wednesday night, 7 to 8 o'clock, as usual. But every Christian has a high calling, and there is a prize that we win whenever that calling is fulfilled. And so we need to watch how it's done in the Bible so that we can do it. 
because it gets you in contact with God, but also because it gets God flowing through you by your Bible. So in the context of the life of Paul, we see how Paul did that with Timothy. If you look on your handout at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let me just press pause at that period to, to add that while discipleship, that discipleship relationship is kind of a parent-child thing. Okay, he calls Timothy his son, but Timothy by this time is 30-something, and he is pastoring the church in Ephesus that he had helped Paul to found. Verse 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Okay, if you've got your Bible and you can write in it, underline, circle, or if you've got a program that you can highlight words, you want to just highlight the three verbs in that verse. Heard, commit, teach. Heard, commit, teach. That is discipleship. So let's do some English Bible exegesis. Because there are four levels in that verse. Paul is exhorting, that's level one. Timothy and other witnesses initially are being exhorted, that's level two. The recipients being discipled by Paul's disciple Timothy are faithful people, that's level three. But then those faithful discipled people are to be able to teach others also, that is level four. So now let me take you to our text, because Acts is God's history of Earth's earliest church. And in Acts chapter 18, we're given a first-hand look into Paul's bold pursuit and holy attitude about discipleship. And the reason is because when discipleship finished, it resulted in saints And so while Jesus talked about making disciples all through the Gospels, all he talks about is making disciples because he could not take the new creature in Christ concept any further at that time. He had not yet died on the cross. But Paul begins with disciples, and he's all about the New Testament believer being the saint he is called. So we see here just what discipleship is and what pursuing the high calling of God means so that we can win the prize that we're after for eternity. Because suddenly, now in Acts chapter 18, Luke does something so unusual. He puts the limelight on people who are behind the scenes. And in doing that, he shows us that going on within Paul's ministry, God is performing significant satellite operations where he's using other people. As a matter of fact, that is the backbone and the structure of discipleship. And it's easy to assume everybody knows exactly what we mean by discipleship. And since they do not, discipleship is what we see modeled here in Acts chapter 18. It is an informal, in other words, outside the walls of the church, every member ministry. But let me hit you with the definition. Discipleship is an investment of the eternal word of God into the eternal soul of another person in such a way that it results in your walk with Christ being duplicated in their experience. 
It is life, not just knowledge. Because it is the new creature emerging from its cocoon based on the caterpillar's application of the faith of Jesus Christ as his or her own rule for life. So discipleship is where one person or couple ministers the word of God to another person or couple to help them press toward our mark. And it raises them to the level of getting a prize from Jesus Christ. And meaning that you get no less prize than I do. I get no more prize than you will. Because the warp and the woof of your New Testament is discipleship done to make saints. You know, I think there's some things which make us lukewarm. There's some things today which help us understand why. If you, if you believe that Revelation 2 and 3, those seven churches are a template of church history, then uh, you, you know we're in the last one, the last age and stage, the Laodicean age of the church, totally lukewarm. And I think that the prime characteristic that makes us that way is that churches have missed this. So what is your role in reversing the lukewarmness in order to start living with a faith on fire? Well, let me hit you with our thesis for today's study. We need dynamic individual believers who by their discipleship provoke others to follow them as they follow Christ, just like Paul, to press toward our mark the faith of Jesus in the Bible. And it's easy to say, you know, I go to this church, here, come with me. But when you can find people out of this church willing to go to the campus, to the corporation, to the cubicle, to the urban core, and then come to this church and learn how they can take on a ministry of discipleship, that gives the devil pause for reflection. Psalm 12 verse 1 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. And if you want one verse to describe our times, a theme to depict our society and many families in it, there it is. And the only solution is preserving the godly faithful through the preserved words of Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. You know, in broader evangelicaldom and even in Baptisthood today, faithful people have failed. Your ultimate mission is tied to making and reproducing faithful men and women who also press for the prize. And they press by putting on a righteousness which comes through walking by the rule and minding the faith of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's life ministry was all about. And and I know it seems like it's not earth-shaking to us, but what we see in Acts chapter 18 is exactly how biblical discipleship undermined the entire philosophy and educational system of the Greeks. I mean, biblical discipleship subverted the military-industrial complex of Rome. It overruled the rules of the politicians 
those rules that were in play in all their countries, all their cultures, all their communities. What was it that closed down the bars after evangelist Billy Sunday would preach in a town? What was it that stopped slavery in the Western democracies, though it continues today in some parts of Africa? What was it that caused social revolution in every urban center Christianity ever touched? You say, well, Alan, it was the word of God, but I submit to you that in building a church, our teaching is as important as what we teach. Okay, I think I said something. You might have missed it. Let me be kind and rewind. Discipleship moves forward or backward on relationships. So the word of God runs through a society, through a community, on the rails of your relationships. Revival runs through a church on discipleship relationships. So what Acts chapter 18 tells you is that you being a teacher is as important as what we are teaching. You cannot do anything for God if you are not willing to build a relationship with somebody. You cannot win souls. You cannot disciple. Your life needs to be run through the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and the New Commandment. Before there was a Great Commission, there was a Great Commandment, love God. Then there was a Great Commission, Then there was a new commandment, love one another, but you can only fulfill any of those on the rails of relationships. So what is your responsibility? Where do you fit into this? Let's first define your duty in scripture itself, because discipleship goes back to the very heart of the origin of the nature of the church in this world. So I want, you to, I want you to look at Matthew 28. We've got it there also on your handout. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, he left us with a new will and testament. It does not contain the words crusade or campaign or revival or even soul winning. But look at, look at what is at the heart of it. Verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Make me some disciples. Now you'll do that by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So you got the gospel to them. They got saved. But what does discipleship mean? Well, it's a structure by teaching them to observe in their life all things. Okay, so what does discipleship mean? Well, it has goals and a curriculum as you teach whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Not just always, all the time, but all the way, even to the end of the world, amen, just to do this. So go and reach to teach each, men and women, just like I did you. Teach them my curriculum so that they in turn teach others my faith. Commit to them the same things I've commanded you. So watch, watch, because here's the good part. Acts 18, here's the good part. Paul models this for us in Corinth. Verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And that's the major theme, but look at the subplot in this drama. When Paul comes to Corinth, what does he do? Well, he does three things because at each place there's a specific action and reaction or cause and result. Watch. Verse 2. 
and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, and came unto them. So this is action number one. He associated closely with a specific couple for a certain period of time. He initiated a relationship because that is how discipleship moves. And the mission of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment and the New Commandment is all about discipleship because it is about reproducing life and making fruit that remains, as Jesus says in John fifteen sixteen. So it's all about training faithful servants in a kingdom that is real, but not seen until Jesus comes back. Paul is looking for people he can reproduce himself in. Therefore, result number one, you will never disciple anyone if you don't get with people around an open Bible. You know, I can remember even in Bible college looking at the professors from a distance, like, like, like over 30 heads, 16 rows between me and thee. And I always wondered, well, I mean, what are they really like? Because they never have a temper. And uh, they, they never seem to have to do the necessary things that I do, you know, changing my oil. And, and, and yet there's a strange thing about Paul. He looked even better close up. Why? What did he do? Verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Verse 11. Verse 11. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Action number two. He trained people from the word of God. He began conforming them to the faith of Jesus Christ. And there were formal teaching times, we know this from other places, in the synagogue, in the market, at the schools. But there was also informal fellowship around an open Bible. I mean, word probably got out. You know, people would see Priscilla on the street and say, man, it must be great to live with the Apostle Paul. And she just said, big whoop. I mean, he's really quiet at home. He, he doesn't say a lot. But there are times when my heart burns just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Therefore, result number two, there was a putting off of the old man and a releasing of the new creature in Christ. And the new creature is, is what contains the new mind. So discipleship is accomplished when both parties meet as disciples surrounding an open Bible. And you can impress lives from a distance but you only impact them one-on-one -on -one when there is listening as well as talking so that the application of Bible principles can be drawn down to their direct circumstance. The last thing I notice about your discipleship duty is in verse 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had a vow. He's going to complete that vow at Jerusalem. So here's our couple again. Priscilla's always mentioned first. Uh, verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you, if God will, 
And he sailed from Ephesus. Action number three. He multiplied himself through his disciples. He multiplied himself by discipleship. See, Paul came to Ephesus and he planted Aquila and Priscilla that he had brought with him from Corinth because he had discipled them. So now there's not just one ministry. In effect, there are three times as much ministry. Corinth, Ephesus, and wherever he's going... Because it's in multiple locations, and that means very simply, and this is result number three, there is a multiplication of ministry through your discipleship. You make the mark, and therefore win the prize. Watch, Aquila and Priscilla are at Ephesus, Paul isn't there. He has ended his second world tour and sold out all the t-shirts, and now, and now he leaves for regions unknown, So what are his disciples doing in Ephesus? Well, they're attending synagogue and and whatever else you do to start a missionary ministry among displaced Judeans. But then they run across this one incredible man in verse 24 and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. So he's educated in all the ways of the Greeks. Five things are listed about his life because he was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures who came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, not just the ways of the Greeks. And being fervent in spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now, verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Well, who was in that synagogue in Ephesus where Apollos was preaching? Whom, verse 26, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard. Paul's disciples are there. You know, as they listen, they discover, hey, there's this one problem. And you read it back in verse 25. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. But he did that knowing only the baptism of John. So here's Aquila and Priscilla, discipled, completely discipled Christians. And they think, wait. Uh, He's not talking about all the goals of discipleship. Uh, You know, there's something that is uh, that that his version has left out. Like he's got an Alexandrian Bible, and they they all throw shade on first half of John chapter eight and the last half of Mark chapter sixteen. It's like I can't even find first John five seven. And and so it's like, man, there's a discipleship lesson he skipped. I mean, his lesson on baptism is a little wonky. And as not necessarily his message was inaccurate, but like most modern versions today, it was incomplete. So immediately Paul's disciples say, we need to get with him just like Paul got with us. And we need to get him around a complete scripture to share with him the rest of the revelation, the complete faith of Jesus Christ. So, verse 26, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They knew they had to invest in his life by discipleship. That's why it says expound, but notice what it does not say. It it does not say they expounded the scriptures unto him. Uh, we do that every Sunday morning, I hope. I mean, both, both here in the service and in our adult classes. But this says they expounded the way of God more perfectly. And the James gang translates that same word 
as searching diligently. They expounded the way of God to him, searching it out more diligently in scriptures over an open Bible. It's also translated to walk circumspectly and teaching someone how to do that. That is discipleship. So Apollos had been saved for a while, but he needed someone to disciple him and not just throw facts at him. Uh, but to teach him patiently and proficiently how to search diligently in the Scripture and then walk circumspectly in the Spirit. Because discipleship is not communicating knowledge. Do not just read the lessons to the person you're discipling because it is sharing life for personal holiness internally and externally. It is what makes you a saint. Well... I'll put it this way. It's what makes you act like the saint you is and and stop being an ain't but a saint. Now, what do you do when you're done? What happens when you've instructed uh, a person in how to walk with the Lord like you walk? What happens when you're able to transfer those four biblical goals of the Christian life and see them founded and established in those things? Verse 27. And when Apollos was disposed to pass into Achaia, well, that, that's, that's Greece. I mean, that's, I mean, he's coming full circle now. The Greeks had their wisdom going out from Alexandria. Now Apollos from Alexandria goes back. He's going to teach them some biblical wisdom to the Greeks. And so Aquila and Priscilla exhort the disciples to re- there to receive him. So watch, evangelism is fishing, but it is all catch and release. How'd you miss that all these years? Because the fourth goal of discipleship is to establish your fish in ministry with you so that they are released to catch other fish and make disciples. And that is what Paul forces Aquila and Priscilla to do in verse 20. That is what they facilitate Apollos to do in Greece in verse 27. And every believer has this obligation because the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and the New Commandment do not exempt anybody. So here's our first point for study. Pressing toward the mark for the high call to be a disciple and make disciples will lead you back full circle to a persistent effort of evangelism and we shall shine like stars daniel 12 verse 3 says because we get the prize it ties together discipleship and harvest teams so watch verse 27 apollos when he was come helped them much which had believed through grace how did he do that because he mightily convinced the jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that jesus was christ so how do we apply all this at harvest baptist church i mean god is speaking to you and you cannot leave this sunday without making a decision which will directly affect your purpose for eternity Well, let me give you two things, and then we raise up out of here. First, this is number one. The greatest relay of God's word is preaching. But the greatest relay of God's way, that's discipleship. Discipleship is at the heart of the three things listed in the Great Commission. 
because it is only that discipleship relationship which fulfills the great commandment and the the new commandment. And the only way to put on Christ and live by the faith of Christ and be holy holy internally and externally and, and be the saint you are called is discipleship. You know, few of you are going to have the opportunity to, to stand up here and, and preach like I do on Sunday, but all of you have the obligation for ministry just like I do. God is not unfair. And the primary way that comes to you is through discipleship, being a disciple-making saint. So second, second, this is number two. We know that the best time to learn a biblical discipleship philosophy and how to help others around an open Bible is this week. Come out and see our 16 lessons, how they can become your tool to get people around an open Bible so that the Word of God will do the work and you can expound the way of God to men and women in our age. Because if all you have is the teachability of an Apollos, then we can give you the best tools we know to explain the walk of God more perfectly to them. So let me ask you a question. Where are you going? Say, well, lunch. I mean, I was thinking of going to lunch. I, well, I mean, where are you going in this church? You need a workable plan to, to fulfill the Great Commission and to run your life through the Great Commandment, love God, and the New Commandment, love one another. And the only way you can do that is by what Jesus said and, and what Paul modeled it to be, discipleship. A tiger met a lion as they sat beside a pool. Said the tiger to the lion, why are you roaring like a fool? That's not foolish, said the lion with a twinkle in his eye. They call me the king of beasts because I advertise. A rabbit heard them talking and ran on like a streak. He thought he'd try the lion's plan, but his roar was just a squeak. A fox heard and came to investigate and found lunch in the woods. And so, my friend, when you advertise, be sure you've got the goods. We've got the goods. We've got the good grace of God. We've got the good word of God. We've got the good spirit of God. And we understand God's good plan of biblical discipleship. So I need you back tonight and Wednesday night, just our usual times. I mean, I need you here with me. If you have signed up to be discipled, if you are a discipler, if you've never done either one of those things before, each of these two nights, regular time, we'll talk about the four goals of discipleship, two tonight and two on Wednesday night, and how to use the lessons to share life. And you need to make a commitment to be here because here's our final point for study. You've done nothing worth remembering in this life until you've changed lives eternally by discipling others. Getting around the word of God to press toward the four biblical goals. And many people have given up because we did not reach them soon enough. They couldn't fish anymore so they cut bait. And today you meet them in the spiritual dives of Laodicean Christianity. But I am praying that you will light a fire under your faith this week.
every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you today for the impact that your word always makes. Whenever we get the input of the faith of Jesus Christ, it always makes an impact. And I thank you that as we take up the life of Paul, you've made us alive to the ministry that we all need to have, every member. And I pray that in this week you would give us the ability to ponder with insight about where we are going and what we are doing with our own Bible. Give us the courage and the preparedness to disciple others like Paul did with a couple, like they did with a man, like he did in a whole city. And forever remove from us the false idea that ministry is something formal where only pastors or staff or deacons can do it. So I pray today in the name of Jesus, please, sir, anoint the members of this church for every member ministry in these last days. And God, there are many churches out there that do a lot of good things. But if they're not doing this, it doesn't amount to anything. I mean, and that's a shame to say. God, this is the, that one thing we've got to have. So, Lord, develop in us a faith on fire. Grow us up out of, in our body here as a church as we grow ourselves into the image of the Jesus whom we love. Go ahead and stand and remain with heads bowed and eyes closed. You know, you cannot be a disciple until you get saved. I mean, you can't follow Christ unless you're born again. So you've got to respond to the Holy Spirit's call this morning to come to Christ and to trust Jesus for everlasting life. And then you can follow his call for his prize of the high calling of being a disciple and making disciples just like earth's earliest Christians did. And to get started today, all you got to do is pray. Just pray and say, Jesus, I trust you today for eternal life. God, save me for Jesus' sake, because I believe in him. I believe him so I can receive him now. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. Put me in Christ. Put your Holy Spirit in me. Make me born again just like you said. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.